0: Absalom didn't forget he loved his sister Tamar later on he's going to name his daughter Tamar after his beautiful sister the Bible even says in 2 Samuel 14 that his daughter is beautiful just like Tamar and he loved her and what Amnon did to her was horrible it was disgusting According to Old Testament law, Amnon should have been stoned for this, or at least married her or something, but he got away with it, scot-free, everything taken care of, because Absalom's dad, David, would do nothing. He did nothing. And it says in, in, in one, of, one translation of this passage, it says that one of the reasons he did nothing is because David loved Amnon. And, and he was basically in line to the throne and he loved him so much. But what about Tamar? What about justice? One of the things we're going to hear in today's story is that if you don't confront sin it's going to eat you alive. I mean, that's simply put, if you don't confront sin in your life, or if you don't confront sin as a parent in your family's life, it will eat your family from the inside out. Now, a lot of this is prophecy because of what happened with Bathsheba. God said to David, the sword's never going to leave your house. Evil is going to rise within your house and it's going to shame you. And here with the story of Absalom and what's beginning to happen here, this prophecy is becoming true. But David did nothing when confronted with sin. He did nothing. He was good at dealing with his own sin. You know, when Nathan stuck his finger in his face and said, You're the man, David, and the sin you committed with Bathsheba is horrible. And David realized what he had done was bad. And he confessed and changed. But what about sin in his own family? It's easy to look at sin in your own life. It's not easy to change, but it's easy to confront yourself. Because you know the mistakes you make, and and you can talk to yourself, but... To talk to somebody else? To actually confront them? And especially family? David was a doting dad, and he loved Amnon. he did absolutely nothing to the disgusting deed that Amnon did to his half-sister Tamar. Well, Absalom, Amnon's half-brother, one of David's sons, the third in line to the throne, Tamar's brother, well, he did something. He saw the sin. He saw what Amnon did. And he saw that David did nothing. Well, Absalom, (laughs) he was going to do something. Again, sin not confronted leads to great harm in the family. If David had stepped up and said, enough is enough, Amnon, you're in trouble. If David had done something, it would have made a big difference. But since David did nothing, Absalom felt he had to do something. And the something that he did, well, it took two years to develop two years. Absalom waited and waited and waited for two years. I don't know if he pretended to be Amnon's friend or if he pretended to wink his eye and look the other way. You know, hey, boys will be boys, I understand. And maybe got in the good graces of Amnon and tried to be his friend or maybe, maybe it was the opposite. Maybe Absalom knew, I'm going to wait for the prime time to kill him, but I'm going to ignore Amnon. I'm going to hate him. I'm going to avoid him at all costs. I'm going to make his life miserable. I don't know. I think it was the other way. I think Absalom hit it. And he hit it well. And he waited and waited and waited for the right opportunity. Two years two years of vengeance in the heart of absalom you know what's going to happen to that vengeance it's going to fester and become harder and absalom's going to become more bitter and more angry but he's going to hide it well and finally the opportunity presented itself it says there in 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 23, after two full years, Absalom finally put his plan into motion. And he comes to David and he says, hey, you know what? We've got a whole bunch of sheep to shear. And and we want to celebrate that, so please send your son. There, there's going to be a great festival here, and it's going to be awesome. And I want to celebrate all the sheep and the lamb, wool we're bringing in. This is going to be awesome. Please let your king, David, you've got to come. Dad, you got to come and bring your servants, please. We're going to celebrate. See, they would have these festivals where they would celebrate The shearing of the sheep and bringing in all the wool and the money they were going to make and the successful raising of lambs and sheep and all that. and Yes, it's awesome. We love a good party. We love a good festival. Come on, David. This is going to be great. Come on, Dad. But David, he says, no, I'm not going. I can't go. I can't go. And in the end, he doesn't go, I think, because... I wonder if he doesn't trust Absalom. I also think he doesn't go because Absalom didn't just invite David. He invited all his brothers, the whole family, the whole clan. And maybe David sensed that it was a bad idea for the king and all his sons to be in the same place. But Absalom wouldn't get up. He kept pressing him and pressing him and pressing him. Give me your blessing, dad. Please give me your blessing. Please, I, I I want your blessing to do this. It'll be awesome. And David's like, nope, it'll be burdensome to you. Nope, it won't work. Nope, I can't go. Please, I can't go. And Absalom, he doesn't really want David. Because you know that bitterness in his heart? It's going to show up in chapter 14. He really doesn't like his dad. That bitterness has manifested itself into anger. A lot of it is on his dad. He doesn't want his dad. What he wants most of all is Amnon there. And so he keeps pressing, David, dad, come on, please, you got to come. And David's like, no, 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 no. And then finally... Absalom goes all right how about this um at least let my brothers come and particularly Amnon at least let my brother Amnon go with us I mean that's what he's been fighting for all the while you know please come please come please come no 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 all right at least let Amnon come all right all right yeah that's fine you can do that this is called the door in the face. You ask for something big. You ask for something big. You ask for something big. And when they say no, 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 then you come back with what you really want, which is a lot smaller than the big you asked for originally. And that doesn't seem as bad. Hey, can I have a dollar? Can I have a dollar? Please, please give me a dollar. No. All right. Can I just have a quarter? All right. You, you can have a quarter. I remember my son did that to me once. Hey, dad, can I have a dollar? Nope. Can I have a dollar? Nope. Can I have a dollar? Nope. Hey, dad, can I have a quarter? All right. Here, Here's your quarter, son. I mean, my son pulled my own trick on me. And this is what Absalom is doing to his dad. Come on, dad. Please come. Please come to it. Please come check out the sheep shears. Please come to the festival. Bring all the sons. Nope, nope, nope. At least let Amnon come. All right. Yeah, that'll work. That that doesn't seem as stressful as everybody else. And that's not as big. Yeah, yeah. Let's do that. That'll work. So Amnon comes to this great festival where they're going to celebrate sheep shearing and he's the crown prince and so it's a great honor that the crown prince is going to be there and it's going to be awesome and Absalom is going to get two things out of this. He's going to get to kill his brother to avenge his sister's the horrible thing that Amnon did to her. But then on top of that, if he kills Amnon, guess what? He's second in command now. David is the king, but with Amnon out of the way, he'll be the crown prince. This will be awesome. Two things, and David is totally not even picking up on this and Amnon, i don't know if he's picking up on it either but i don't think he is but eventually you know david finally gives in and he says all right the crown prince can go along with all the brothers so they all show up to the sheep shearing festival well before they show up absalom goes to his servants and he says be courageous i need you to be valiant do not fear. He keeps saying that. Be courageous. Be valiant. Do not fear. When all my brothers show up. And when Amnon starts to drink wine. And starts to drink more wine. And starts to get all tipsy. And starts to get drunk. When his heart becomes merry with wine. at my command... I want you to step forward, and I want you to kill Amnon. Mark it. When he starts to get happy, when he starts to get all drunk, when I say strike Amnon, you kill him and don't fear. Be strong, be brave, and notice it's not Absalom killing him. Oh, I didn't know my servants were going to do that. I'm totally free of this. He looks like he gets off scot free again and he gets to revenge his sister Tamar. So they all show up for the sheep shearing festival, they all start to eat food. And they all start to drink wine, all of David's sons, all the princes. And there's the crown prince, probably at the head of the table, enjoying it the most. And he starts to drink more wine. And they give him the best wine. And he starts to drink more and more of it. And Amnon becomes, as the Bible says, merry of heart, or what we would say today, drunk. At some point, Absalom nods his head, snaps his fingers. Or maybe he literally says, strike Amnon now. I don't know, but he gives the cue. And right on cue, his servants step forward and they kill Amnon. I don't know if they stab him in the back while he's seated. slit his throat while he's seated. I don't know. But his servants kill Amnon. And woohoo, Tamar is avenged. And now Absalom is second in command. And it says when Absalom killed Amnon, all the sons jumped on their mules, which basically means they were rich. They had money. They were royalty. If you could afford a mule, you had money, my friend. And it says when Absalom killed Amnon, that all the rest of the brothers jumped on their mules. And he got out of town. And Absalom hopped on his mule and he fled to Geshur. And he hung out with Talmai, the son of Ammihud, king of Geshur. Basically his mother's grandfather or his mother's side of the family. He ran away, hung out with the king of Geshur to get out of town. While the other sons, they hop on their mules and they're getting out of town and amnon is dead yes the news eventually gets back to david now they didn't have twitter they didn't have email so he gets it by word of mouth and you know what he hears he hears that absalom has killed all of the brothers and that all of his sons are dead, and it says that David begins to weep because he heard that all of his sons are dead, and none of them are left, and then he tears his garment and begins to weep, and then in walks what the Bible calls a crafty fellow. Remember this guy? The friend of Amnon? The friend who came up with this horrible plan to hurt Tamar? Remember his name? jonadab well jonadab shows up and he i think is trying to get in with the king because he knew what amnon had done he helped put it all together and so i think he knew that absalom wasn't after the rest of the brothers he was after one and he goes to david listen hey hey your sons aren't all killed no he just killed amnon amnon alone is dead i'm telling you that's the truth amnon alone is dead well eventually the news gets back and eventually here come all of david's sons and yes one two three there they all are it's true Amnon is the only one. And basically, Jonadab later comes up to David and says, See? I told you. All of the sons have showed up. And the sons showed up. They were crying. And they wept bitterly. And David, he's probably hugging all his kids. And Jonadab is trying to get in with the king. this guy's evil. I mean, he helps he's he's one of the reasons this whole thing came about and now he's alive and Amnon's dead and he's trying to get in on the good side of the king. This man is rotten. Well David is thankful that his sons are alive. And the Bible says, for the next three years, Absalom lived in Geshur with Talmai, the son of Amahud, lived far away from his family, lived far away from his dad, David, for the next three years. And it says the spirit of the king, he missed Absalom. He loved Absalom. And his heart longed to be with him. And it's so strange to me. Where was this heart for your daughter, Tamar? David sometimes is a confusing individual to me. He misses Absalom. He doesn't seem terribly crushed by the death of Amnon. It does say in 2 Samuel, he was comforted. But he really missed Absalom. Where is all this heart for Tamar? Where was all this heart For confronting Amnon and dealing with sin in your family. Where was all this heart to motivate you to do something? But after it's all over, after Amnon's dead, Tamar is living sadly in Absalom's house, never to be married. His heart still goes out to Absalom, who's now a murderer himself. He's the crown prince, second in command well for three long years David does nothing he doesn't try to reach out to Absalom he doesn't try to make it right and I wonder if he praises Jonadab you don't really hear much more about him but again why is David not doing anything If he misses Absalom that much, maybe he needs to reconcile with him. Maybe deep down in his heart he knows what Absalom did was right in killing Amnon. Then why doesn't he praise him? Why doesn't he bring him back? Well, for three years, David does nothing, while Absalom sits over there and gets angrier and angrier and bitterer and bitterer, if that's a word, and more and more vile in his heart. And now, now you have a real threat to your throne, David. Before he was your son who probably loved you. And now that you ignored his beautiful sister Tamar and let your son do his horrible deed and did nothing. And Absalom did what you should have done. But now Absalom's bitter and instead of a friend as the next in line to the throne. Now you've got an ugly angry rival from your own family, David. Now, you know who sees what's happening and he's thinking, I can't let this go any further. You know who that is? Not Jonadab. Thank goodness we don't hear about him again. No, you know who does see all and what should be done and is thinking, we have a problem here. You know who did? Joab. Joab david's commander of his army joab is a great strategist a great military general and he's also smart and he sees we have a real threat here now to your throne and we've got to do something about it something you have not been willing to do for the last three years david so joab finds it says here a a clever woman or some versions say a wise woman and I just think he found a really good actor, a really good actor to come along and say, Hey, I need you to play a role for me. And it says that Joab goes to her and tells her a story. Now, remember when Nathan went in and told David a story about a man who had a little lamb and how it was taken from him by this guy who had a lot of lambs? Well, It's the same thing. This woman is going to go in to tell David a problem and he's going to judge it as he should as the king. But in the end, it's going to turn the tables and be on him. He's using the same tactic Nathan used, but now with this woman who's pretending to be somebody else. So Joab tells her the story that he wants her to run for David. And so she goes in and she pretends to be this mourner. And, and she pretends to be somebody who's been mourning for days. And she comes in, oh, David. And David is, what? what, what What's happened? And she says, save me, oh king. Alas, I am a widow and my husband is dead dead and and i had two sons she weeps before the king and and they began to quarrel with one another in the field and then one rose up and killed the other and now he's run off and now the whole clan the whole family has risen against him and they want to kill him but if they kill him then i've lost my husband he's killed his brother and now if they kill him My family's wiped out. She says, they would quench my coal that is left and leave me no name or remnant on the face of the earth. So what she's essentially saying is, I have got this huge problem. My husband died. My two sons quarreled. One killed the other. He's ran off to a city of refuge. The family is asked to have blood vengeance on him, which they could under the law. It's right. They are required life for life. But, but David, if they kill him, then my name's gone. In my case, the name of Katzine would be wiped out. And back then, they didn't have Social Security. Back then, they didn't have a 401k savings plan. Back then, if a woman lost her husband and her sons, who's going to take care of her in her old age? Nobody. And that's essentially what Joab tells this woman to pretend to be telling David. And so she tells him this sobby story. Oh, I'm going to be left with no one and it's going to be horrible. And David says, "Listen. I'll give orders that your son has to be taken care of. It'll be fine. I'll I'll, I'll cover it. Don't worry. I will watch out for your son." And the old woman says, "Really? Are you going to do that?" And so she asks again. Please, I have to be taken care of. And relentlessly, she keeps asking him over and over again until she finally gets David to give a formal oath. You know, hey, it's not just, hey, I'll take care of you. I'll watch out for you. Nobody will kill your son that's left over. Everything will be fine. She keeps pleading with him, pleading with him until finally says, all right. As the Lord liveth, not one hair of your son shall fall to the ground. And then she springs the trap that Joab gave her. And she says, Why then have you planned such a thing against the people of God? For in giving this decision, the king convicts himself. You know, you have this banished son who, who is gone away from his people, but the people want him back. But if we don't have a future, once you die, and we don't have this, this Absalom back, then Israel's going to die with you. And please, you've got to understand that the story that you judged in favor of is similar to what is happening to Israel now. They're losing their king And they're going to lose their heir to the kingdom. David looks at her. And begins to think about it. And then he says, be truthful with me. Did Joab set this up? I mean, somehow he imperceptibly heard. You know, maybe it was a language choice. Maybe how it was done. He said, did Joab set you up for this? And she says, yes. So Joab comes in, he bows to the ground, and he asks the king for forgiveness. And ultimately he says, listen, David, please bring back Absalom, please. And he's blessing the king. He's asking for forgiveness. Please, as the Lord liveth, bring back Absalom. Joab sees the danger If you let Absalom sit out there, you have for the past three years, you've done nothing. If you just let him sit out there, he's going to start to become your greatest rival and take your throne from you. And he's trying to get this problem solved before it gets worse and worse and worse. So David looks at Joab. He says, all right, you found favor in my sight, Joab. Go bring Absalom back to Jerusalem. But here's the deal. He cannot come into my presence. I do not want to see him. He can live in Jerusalem all he wants, but I never want to see him again. So Joab goes off, gets Absalom from Geshur, brings him all the way back to Jerusalem, and father and son are reunited. Yay! Everything's great! No. No. David kept his promise, yeah, Absalom can come back, but for the next two years, they never saw each other. So think about it, David hadn't seen Absalom for three years, then he hasn't seen him now for another two years, that's five years that David hasn't seen Absalom, and Absalom has not been in the presence of his father. But hey, Absalom's back in Jerusalem, and Joab's like, hey, I can maybe at least control him there. But Absalom, he comes back, I think, a different manner. Or maybe this was the way he was all along, I'm not certain. But Absalom shows himself to be an angry man. A violent man. A man who has some vicious tendencies. And at the end of chapter 14, one of those vicious tendencies is showing. He wants to see his dad, but he can't see his dad. And he keeps saying to Joab, please, please, I want to see my dad. I want to talk to my dad. But for two years, nothing happens. So Absalom says, hey, servants, I need you to go out and burn joab's barley field right next door to where absalom was where he was living was joab's barley field and joab kept ignoring him and wouldn't give him an audience with the king so absalom in a infantile furious angry act to get the attention of joab burns the barley field owned by joab well guess what that got joab's attention and the thing is absalom he's becoming more and more popular he probably could have waited and done something because one of the things it said about absalom is that from the sole of his foot basically from his foot all the way to the top of his head There was no blemish in him. He was the most handsome man in all of Israel. It says he had such long, flowing, beautiful hair that he would only cut once a year. And when he cut it, his luscious hair that they collected was so thick and luxurious that his hair literally weighed five hounds Ah, everybody loved Absalom and he was making friends and he was getting the people of Israel to begin to slowly love him but because he couldn't get his dad to talk to him because Joab wouldn't listen to him he burnt the man's field he burned it up I mean, what an angry man. This is a person who is beautiful on the outside, but bitter and angry on the inside. Well, he's burnt the field, and guess what? Joab's listening. And he comes to Joab, and he goes, What in the world is up with you? And Absalom says something interesting. He says, Why have I come all this way from Geshur?" It would have been better for me to still be over there. Why am I sitting here in Jerusalem if I can't meet my dad? And then he says this, If there is guilt in me, let him put me to death. In other words, Absalom is saying, I did nothing wrong in killing Amnon. He still doesn't think he did anything wrong. He still thinks he had the right to avenge what happened to his sister. He goes, hey, there's no guilt in me. I think he's a bitter, angry man who thinks he's owed everything and thinks he's wonderful. But on the other hand, I think he might have a point. David did nothing. Absalom tried to bring justice. I don't know, in the end, what we got was Absalom beautiful on the inside but angry enough to burn a field vandalize things just to get people's attention joab goes to david and he tries to get david to see absalom david gives in and absalom comes in bows to the king and then the king has absalom stand up Kisses him on the forehead. They look at each other. That's it. David goes back to his house. Absalom leaves and goes back to his house. David forgives it all. David hasn't seen his son for two years. There's no talk of hugging. There's no talk of making things up. But bigger still, David is a judge, the final judge of Israel. And Absalom has killed his brother Amnon. But David doesn't enact any justice. He does not confront Absalom with his sin. But if Absalom is right in confronting and avenging what happened to Tamar... David still doesn't talk about what happened to Amnon. And he doesn't apologize for what happens to Tamar. There is no justice. It's like we're just papering over the top and putting a band-aid over a festering wound. If you cut yourself, you gotta clean it out and then you put on a band-aid and yay, everything's healed. Well, not David. He's got this huge cut between his son Absalom and his daughter Tamar and he's got this horrible festering wound and he doesn't clean it out he doesn't ask his sons and his daughter to to apologize for what they have done and he doesn't apologize to them for what he has done he does not in any way deal with the problem he just forgives him and boom puts on a band-aid over a festering wound and it gets worse and worse, and worse, and worse. Well, you know what's going to happen? Well, hey, come back next time and we will find out exactly what happens. But the point of this whole story is this. Confront sin. Don't just sweep it under the carpet. Don't just pretend that everything's great. If you have a friend that you have a problem with, you used to be great friends, but now you don't hang out anymore, go deal with the problem. Go talk to them. If things are strange between you and your parents, whether you're young or whether you're old, and you know what the problem is, it's because you said something mean. And whether you deserve to say it or not, or whether you had the right to say it or not, I don't know. Go make it right. Go apologize for what you need to apologize for. Maybe you have a strained relationship with your wife. Maybe you have a strained relationship with your husband. Maybe you have a strained relationship with people in your church and you know what the problem is, but you're too proud. I'm not going to go apologize for that. Or maybe worse, you know there's sin in your family. You know there's sin in your friend group. But nobody does anything about it. Nobody says anything. Everybody just pretends this huge problem doesn't exist. And they just band-aid over it and keep sweeping it under the rug. But this problem will not go away. And it's going to fester. And it's going to fester. And it's going to fester and get worse. Remember, he who confesses his sin will have mercy, right? Now remember, the Bible does say, if you can let love cover it, love covers a multitude of sins. But if there's sin in your family, if there's sin amongst your friends, that type of sin needs to be confronted. Here, David, he didn't need to let love cover it. He needed to go to Absalom and say, I should have done something about Amnon. I am sorry. Please forgive me. Tamar, I am sorry. Please forgive me. I did wrong. I wonder what that would have done. Absalom should have repented for killing Amnon. He should have at least apologized to his dad and talked through it, done something. But I think a lot of the fault lies on David as a father and a parent and as a judge. He sits around for three years. He sits around for another two. He does nothing. No confronting. No dealing with the sin for five years. And in the end, all he does is kiss Absalom on the forehead and send him on his way. Everything's fine. But it's not. Let's confess our sins because He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's confess our sins and let's forsake our evil ways. And let's pursue goodness and righteousness and let's pursue God. Thank you for listening to Baldhead Bible Podcast.